everybody. How you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to this special Broad Street Hockey presentation, a one-on-one with Flyers television play-by-play announcer Jim Jackson. Uh, now, it's not an in-person sit-down interview. We make do with Zoom, as has become customary uh, in these times. But Jim, you know, you had to make do uh, calling road games remotely. I just want to know, like, off the bat, just to get things started, what were the biggest challenges of that time? How glad are you to, how glad are you to be back out on the road? Uh, I'm thrilled to be back out on the road. Uh, I love being in the arenas, in the atmosphere, uh, around the players as well during the course of the, uh, you know, before the game and so forth. You get to talk to the players and get more interaction. So it's all all good as far as I'm concerned. The challenges, I mean, first of all, let me say that everybody at NBC Sports Philadelphia and with the Flyers um, helped tremendously to to make it as good as we possibly could remotely and we're still doing games remotely we'll be doing a game this week remotely because we can't get to Canada so um, the game in Ottawa this week we'll we'll go back to doing it off a monitor and the challenges are that you you can't see everything right it's it's kind of obvious you can't see the back referee sometimes calls are made you're not sure what's going on when the puck goes in the air it's tough to to really tell where it is Uh, sometimes pucks right on the goal line you have no idea whether it's going in or not you can't really tell no depth perception and then you're relying on the cutting of the the uh, director whoever's directing it the the feed we're getting because sometimes they'll cut low just as a pass goes out in front now if i'm calling the game in the arena and they're making that cut it's tough on the fans watching at home because they don't know where the puck's going but at least i know and i can call it I don't know when I'm watching it off the monitor. So you kind of have to wait and readjust with your eyes when they cut back to the game camera. So there's little things. Uh, We did the best we could with it. It was certainly better than not doing the games at all. Um, But I certainly prefer being at the arena. That's for sure. Yeah, I think we all prefer you there. And we were we were along for the ride with you. Like, because, you know, we we depend as viewers on television, on the announcers to be a step ahead for us. Because watching hockey is a skill. You need to anticipate where the puck's going. And you know, when true. we can't when we can't totally follow everything, we need the announcers. And when you're handicapped watching the same thing we are, it can be a little difficult. But I definitely think you guys uh you guys made the best of what you had. But speaking of challenges, challenging season for the Flyers. Plenty of negativity swirling around the fan base. Uh, I do try to put a, a positive spin on, you know, just find a few of those things. And, you know, it's your job. You tell the story of the game, tell the story of the season. 23 games left. Like, what are the things that you're looking for to really, like, draw attention to, to make it not so much, you know, just, oh, yeah, well, they're going to lose again. You know, it's how do yeah. you, like, get out I mean- of that mindset? Yeah, but let me first say that whenever a team is going through a season such as the Flyers are going through, uh, the reaction in these days of social media uh, is overreaction. Um, and it really similarly is the other way around when a team is hot uh, or when a team like, let's say, the Sixers acquires a player. Uh, the reaction going the other way is over the top too. Uh, the expectations are built too high. Um, so, I mean, the Sixers were going to lose a game with James Harden, right? So it was uh, going to you know, happen. <laughs> yes. Uh, they still might win the championship, but you know, they're not going to win every game. And that, that's the thing we, we, we react, we overreact. That's kind of what makes sports great though. That's why yeah. I love Philadelphia. We have passionate sports fans. So when things aren't going well, they let you know it. When things are going well, it's all great. So, uh, I like that to be honest with you. It's a lot more fun. When uh, it's uh, going the other way, for sure, uh, this has been a tough year. But let me say this. The, the Flyers have been in almost every game here lately, so the broadcasts themselves have not been, uh, you know, where we have to tell stories or talk about prospects from the second period on. 
Uh, yeah. They've been in the games. They've been leading the games. Uh, the game last night, obviously, case in point, very frustrating loss, and it's it's awful. But it's better than getting routed every night. I mean, they've been in the third period within a goal of their opponent or better uh, in 22 of the last 24 games. So, uh, you know, they've only won five. So what's wrong? They're not coming through with plays to win games. They're probably lacking that player or two with some key players still out. Um, and they just haven't been able to get into that good rhythm. But they're not all that far away. And I, and I talk to fans all the time, Bill, that are they're disconsolate. They're, uh, that's probably a nice way of putting it in another way. You know, they're, they're, they're angry. They're, they're frustrated. They're sad. They're all those things. And I try to tell them back in 2006, 2007, the Flyers had a season worse than this. Uh, they were getting blown out in games. They were done early. There was no hope. There was not really much of a young core. There were a couple players. They had Carter and Richards, but the bottom line is uh, it, it looked awful. Um, and the next year they made the playoffs Two years after that, they went to the Stanley Cup Finals. It can turn around real quickly. Paul Holmgren did a great job getting Danny Briere and Kimo Timonen, Scott Hartnell, Joffrey Lupul, Marty Biro. I can go down on and on. And then they built up with some of their young players that were there. And all of a sudden, they were contenders again pretty consistently over the next five, six years, including that uh, Cup Finals run. So uh, it can turn around really quickly. A lot of people, a lot of the doomsayers out there, um, on podcasts, quite frankly, some of them uh, are saying they're miles and miles and miles away. And well, maybe they are, but I, I'll tell you right now, they have Carter Hart, who's a pretty solid foundation to build around in that they have some good young players here now, and they have some more coming and they're going to make some moves. Uh, and to your point, what to look forward to the rest of this season? Well, uh, the immediate future, Claude Giroux's 1,000th game, and then where does he go and where do other players go with the trade deadline coming in, in a week? And then after the trade deadline passes, I think we look to see which players are going to be part of this team moving forward. We're going to be watching Morgan Frost and Cam York and Joel Farabee and, and Carter Hart and some of these other players, and, to, and also the, the younger veterans like Travis Konechny, Travis Sanheim, Ivan Provorov, if they're still here. I mean, I don't know how active Chuck Fletch is going to be, but and to see if they are going to be part of this thing moving forward. So there's plenty to look forward to, and you hope, at least I hope, uh, there are some out there who want to tank, I know, but uh, you hope they get some wins so they can build the winning culture back a little bit here late in the season. Uh, some people will say, why win? It's just getting you a lower draft pick. Well, uh, I, you know, I've been around. The Flyers had the second overall pick not too long ago. That didn't seem to work out all that well. You're not guaranteed anything with a number one or two or three pick. You really aren't. I mean, Connor McDavid, some, some years, you know, Austin Matthews, okay, you've got that, no doubt about it. There's no, Shane Wright is not a no doubt about it a superstar in the making. There's, so I don't care if they go from three to seven or from four to nine in their pick. Uh, to me, it's, it's more important to get some wins, get some of the young players that are on hand into a really good frame of mind heading into the offseason and looking forward to next year. And to your point about that 06-07 season, they won 22 games. They were the worst team in the league by far. They don't win the lottery. They end up picking second in that year. So it's, you know, they were supposed to draft 13th when they drafted Nolan Patrick at two. So there's not always those guarantees when it's a lottery system. And yeah, you like Carter Hart. I don't want to see Carter Hart lose every night. As much as I think having a high draft pick will help, I want to see Carter Hart stop some pucks. Like that's that's good for him in the long term. So it's a balancing the way this act. Is going, Bill, it's, it's pretty sure they're going to have a high draft pick. It's yeah, just a matter yeah, of it's, how high. And I, I sure. just. I mean, the Nolan Patrick draft to me is uh, as good an indication. Uh, Nico Heischer, good player, a superstar, I would say not. No. 
Uh, Nolan Patrick, obviously injuries, whatever he's, he's not getting it done. And then the next three picks are all potentially course, yeah. consistent all-stars their entire career. So you just don't know. We talk prospects. Everybody thinks they know, um, it, you know, in some sports, I think it's easier to tell than others. Basketball, I think, is one that, you know, you can tell who the, the future superstars are. Not all the time. Uh, football in some positions. But hockey's tough. These guys, many of them are being picked as teenagers. Most of them are. And, and they're and all of them really. And, and they're, you know, we just don't know where they're going to be in two or three or four or five years. So uh, to, to put all of your, your hopes in tanking to get that high pick to me is, is just not the way to go. And the, the flyers are not, I don't think in that mindset. So you mentioned uh Jeru's 1000th game coming up and I just have to imagine milestones like this make a season like this easier to okay today we have we can tell this story uh, like you said they've been in games but it breaks up the monotony a little bit you got to do the yandel milestone but you've been here for Giroux's entire career like in my head you're the voice of Claude Giroux's career the way I hear zoom off and McGinnis calling Allen Iverson's name like I hear you making those Giroux calls and so this is really something you've got to be able to part uh, be a part of what does it mean to you to call this game on Thursday uh first of all it's been an absolute honor to to be able to try to describe uh his exploits because uh I remember him as a fresh-faced kid in that game in Ottawa when he first came up and he looked about 12 you know and uh, and now he's a you know father of two and a mature adult, and uh, it just doesn't seem like it's been that long. It really doesn't. Fifteen, sixteen years. It's like wow, where did the time go? Um, but he has been so much fun to call. He's one of those players who is creative, uh, always looking for ways to be creative. I mean, even this year at this, this stage of his career, he's perfected that that uh, bouncing puck from center ice. It's giving goaltenders all kinds of trouble and even Cam Atkinson used it effectively the other night. Um, and then he's got that bank play behind the net. I haven't seen a lot of players use that um, and, and getting the puck from his skates to his stick. I don't think there's anybody better. So he has tremendous skill, tremendous creativity. He's a clutch player. I know he takes heat in this town because he has not been the captain of a team that's gone on a long run. He was certainly part of the 2010 team that, we got to within two wins of the cup. So he's been part of a team that's been on a long run, but not since he wore the C. And so they heap it all on him that he's not a good leader. Well, I'll, I'll tell you right now, uh, I've talked to players. I've talked to coaches. Any coach who's had Claude Giroux loved him. Any player who played with him seems to have loved him. You usually see, even if they're not public, in talking with players or in talking, especially after they retire, when they're usually more open about these things, or coaches when they moved on to another team or retired, uh, you know, not necessarily publicly, but at least in conversations with some of us, you'll hear, yeah, he just, you know, he's just not the guy who's going to lead you there, or he just doesn't have it. He's not, uh, you know, or he's the problem. I even hear that. And it's just, I think, lunacy. Um, I, I've not seen a player who's played with him yet that doesn't say he's the hardest working, the most competitive player they've ever played with the guy's competitive in whatever he does I see him scream on the plane when he doesn't win it when they're playing cards I mean he's a very competitive guy and certainly takes that to the ice um he's there every night he's played through all kinds of stuff the only thing that's derailed what would be now about a 400 game consecutive game streak is COVID which he couldn't control he had to sit um certainly if it was given the choice would have played right through that uh, and so durability is there, creativity, skill, determination, everything's there for me. Uh, he's going to play a thousand games with the same team. The second player, think about this history of this uniform, oops, this uniform behind me. And 
I mean, we're well over, uh, you know, a half a deck, half a century into this, this franchise. And there's been one player, just one player has done that. Uh, and we all know who he is and he is uh, an icon. And, uh, and now Claude Giroux is going to hit 1000 games in one uniform. It might only be 1000 games. Uh, there, there is that hanging over this whole thing. I'd much rather this celebration be as the Flyers are heading toward the playoffs and we're celebrating Claude Giroux's 1000th game. Instead, we might be celebrating it. And the next day or day after that, he might get traded. It makes it a little different, but it doesn't take away from the accomplishment. It's been remarkable. Um, and it has just been from my standpoint, that was the question you asked. Uh, I feel blessed that I was able to, to watch his decade and a half in the orange and black because you just never knew, you never know what he's going to come up with. I know one time there's a, a game and I don't know what possessed me to do it is kind of breaking broadcast one-on-one rules that I try to tell kids now, uh, but I, he had the puck. It was late in the game. It was a tie game, I believe. And I said, does the captain have a miracle in him right here? And he scored. And, you know, everyone's giving me, Oh, what a call. It was really dumb because most likely the chances of him scoring there were slim, but again, Claude came through for me. He scored and he delivered a, a miracle as I called it. And I mean, he just did that a lot. Uh, you think about all the late goals he scored or set up 11 overtime game winners, which is a franchise record. Uh, some of the great plays he made in the run in 2010, obviously the shootout goal to, to set up the Bush save to, to beat the Rangers before they even got to the playoffs. Then that just, controlling the puck for about 30 seconds by himself against the Bruins in the clincher against them. Uh, the, the shift against uh, Crosby a couple of years later, you know, he hits Crosby scores a goal to get the fire started. So these people who say he's not clutch, he's come through. It's just the team didn't go on that long run with him wearing the C. And uh, so they, they kind of hold it against Claude. And I just don't think he can do that when you look at all the other evidence, which points to the fact that he's a great player, a durable player, a clutch player, and certainly a guy who wants to win. Yeah, I think like I'm just I'm an unabashed Claude Giroux fan. Uh, and I think a lot of times we get in this basketball mentality of your best players are the only ones who matter. Like they're the ones who win and lose for you. It's like, yeah, they play 36 out of 48 minutes. Claude Giroux, if he plays 22 minutes, that's a ton out of 60. Like that's a whole lot. Someone else is playing in those minutes. He might not be as good as Claude Giroux, and he really hasn't been, you know, in in G's tenure here. So I always know, like, that's my lasting thing with G is I always know for better or worse, he gave me everything. That's why I find it hard to criticize him. I know he's trying out there. If he succeeded, he failed. He definitely gave me everything. And like you said, this could be uh, Thursday could be his last game as a Philadelphia Flyer. It might be. Uh, his last home game, anything, it, it, your lasting memory. Is it like the shift? Is it is something that happened on the ice or is it more just what he brought uh, to the team as captain and being that competitive guy? It is so tough to come up with one play. Um, it's, I, I mean, my producer asked me the other day to come up with a list of plays that I remember. And that was, uh, that was easy. I just yeah. started listing them, but then to take those and pick one, would be hard. Um, I, I do think that what really symbolizes Claude was the the shift in in uh, Boston, actually, where it wasn't a goal, it wasn't even an assist, and it wasn't his skill, which we all know is tremendous. It was his will to just hold on to that puck to try to kill off the final seconds of a history-making win. So in that sense, that might be my one, if I had to, uh, point to one, although that doesn't do his skill justice because that was just will. 
But I think that's what we need to remember about Claude Giroux. Once he, he moves on to another team, and, and we assume that is going to happen. And that is an assumption, not a certainty. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, his will was what really stuck out to me. But his skill, on the other hand, I mean, there's so many. The, the shootout goal against the Rangers that year in 2010 was tremendous. Um, and then some of these unbelievable plays he comes up with, uh, you, you know, you remember the, the backhand against Columbus and uh, there's just so many, it's hard to pick one out, but I, I guess I prefer to to think of the will over the skill because hockey is such a game of will, right? It's a game of skill. No, no doubt about it. But if you don't have the will, the skill is not going to carry you. Claude has the skill, but he also has the will. And like, as you, there's been plenty of very good players who might not have that little bit extra and it hasn't come through like in Drew's playoff success as captain, but you definitely see it. Like he's giving you that will out there. And I think that's a great, a great moment to kind of point to it. Uh, just a few more here, JJ, you've been calling flyers games since 1993, at least according to Wikipedia, uh, you became, <laughs> and we the, never doubt Wikipedia. <laughs> that's, uh, you became <laughs> they the got this TV- one, right though. They did get yeah, okay. this one. Excellent. You became the TV play-by-play guy in 95, I believe. Uh, So you've been around this organization as long as anybody. There's a lot of talk how the organization has changed in the last several years. But from a day-to-day perspective, how have things changed like for you? Anything noticeable? And change doesn't mean for the worse necessarily. Just in the last few years, how how has the thing, how has your job evolved? Uh, well, the last few years have been different for everybody. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, it's it's hard to to equate what I'm doing because, as we talked about earlier, I've been doing games off monitors, which I didn't do for the first 26 years here. Like I have the last two. Uh, so that changed everything. Uh, but from a standpoint of when I go, let's say, to do a home game and I'm at the arena, um, the only thing missing now really has been the playoff runs. I mean, my first uh, 1993-94 was the last year of the five straight years the team missed the Before playoffs this, as okay. Eric Lindros era was just getting underway. Uh, from that time on, they have not missed in consecutive years until it appears this year. So I've been blessed to be part of these playoffs pretty consistently. And up until 2012, really some good runs too. You know, you think of 2000, you think of 2004, 2010, and there were others, 2008, there were, there were others. There's these runs, you know, they win a, cut, a round or two. This place, this city just gets all flyered up. There's orange and black everywhere. And uh, so we haven't had that in a, in a while now. And we need that. Uh, every franchise needs that to stoke the fire. There is so much enthusiasm for the Flyers. I know we've seen the empty seats here lately. But, you know, they, they won over a stretch of like 26 games four times and they missed the playoffs last year and they're going to miss again. That happens. You get empty seats. I don't think it's any brash statement that everything has changed. It's just, hey, they're not winning right now. And when you don't win in sports in most cities, there's maybe a couple exceptions where teams continue to draw even when the team is lousy. But when a team is struggling and doesn't win, usually you start to see empty seats. I guarantee you if the Flyers are back uh, next year and contending, that place will be full and there will be all kinds of interest. Uh, So all this other stuff, all this other noise that I keep hearing is just for me piling on the team struggling. No doubt about it. There are reasons they've struggled and and that can be investigated. You can give your, your thought. Maybe they didn't have enough depth in the organization. Uh, Maybe they, they missed out on a whole bunch of draft picks. For me, the biggest problem this year, I know I sound like a shill here, but it's injuries. I mean, they 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 lost their best forward 
and arguably their best defenseman. We don't know that really because we didn't see Ryan Ellis play, but I'm telling you right now, this is a really good player. And with the way the rest of the defense, in terms of like Ivan Provorov, some of the guys have played this year, Ryan Ellis would have been the best defenseman on this team. I mean, uh, you lose those two right off the hop. Kevin Hayes as well really wasn't there. And now he's just coming back. His other comebacks, he was a shell of himself. So you're out three top players, your top two centers and one of your top two defensemen. And then, oh, by the way, they've also lost about 11 other players, including guys like Joel Farabee. So, I mean, to me, the injuries were the big reason they just never got a chance to see what this Chuck Fletcher made team would look like this year. Um, and, and it's unfortunate. They should have certainly been able to react a little better and not lose as much as they have. There's no doubt about that. And we can look into the reasons for all that. But they've been losing. So, uh, you know, that is really the number one reason why you see the fans and, you know, the empty seats and all that. I have no doubt that if the Flyers win, the fans come back and there's all kinds of enthusiasm. It's an unbelievably passionate hockey area. Um, and the fact that fans are angry is probably a good thing to me. I keep hearing people say people don't care anymore. Well, they, they don't have my Twitter feed because yeah, not I get based all kinds on my Twitter mentions. Yeah. yeah, I get a lot of angry fans, upset fans, as I said before, sad fans. Um, and, you know, I do uh, these, I do interactions with them where they, they want me to tell them why I, they should still be hopeful. And uh, sometimes I feel like I, I should have a couch and <laughs> be talking to these people. They, they care. So uh, if I'm a fan and they're losing all the time, do I spend the extra buck plus? Oh, by the way, we have the other situation, you know, the pandemic and stuff like that too, uh, all cutting into it. So I, I do think they'll, they'll come back. Uh, but you, your question was, how has it changed for me? It hasn't in terms of me doing the games. I, t- I tell people, I have people come up to me uh, during a season like this and say, oh, I feel sorry for you guys having to call these games. And the first thing I say to them is, stop right there. No sympathy for me. I am getting a chance to watch some of the best athletes in the world, not just the Flyers, but the other team as well. Uh, you just think about that last homestand. We saw Ovechkin. We saw McDavid, we saw Kaprizov, we saw Patrick Kane, uh, we saw Jack Eichel. We saw some of the best players you're ever going to see play this sport come in here. So I'm getting a chance to call some of the best athletes in the world, perform their craft, and try to describe it and, you know, have work with Keith Jones and, uh, you know, and Brian Boucher last night. And it's just don't have any sympathy for me. I love what I do. Every time my feet hit the ground in the morning and I have a game to call that day or night, it's a good day. Um, and it doesn't matter what the Flyers record is. So um, my situation to me really hasn't changed other than, yeah, I, I do want to feel that that Flyer mania again. And that's going to take a playoff run. That's that's the only way you do it in sports, especially hockey, basketball. You, you have to have a, a playoff run. That'll stoke that fire and what a fire it is in Philadelphia when it gets going. So um, my job, other than that, has not changed at all. I love what I do. I'm, I'm absolutely 100% blessed to, to do what I do. I wanted to do it since I was about nine or 10 years old and uh, God willing, I have some more years left in me because I certainly love doing it. JJ, you mentioned Keith Jones. I just, how ridiculous is he to work with? Now my wife is Ava Graham. It's a great word to use actually. (laughs) My wife is Ava Graham. She's on the WIP morning show. So I've gotten to do a little bit with Keith in the past and he's just, it's not a character. He's he's just always this way, at least when I've been around him. Like, is he just the most, is he? Is it fun? Is it exhausting? How ridiculous <laughs> is it working with Keith Jones? Not exhausting at all. It is fun. He's one of the quickest wits I've ever been around. Um, I, I've, I've 
been honored to work with Steve Coates, who in a completely different way is a blast to work with. I've worked with Gary Dornhofer, who if I was in uh, any kind of situation where I needed to have someone next to me, uh, you know, in, in a war scenario, and it's probably not the time to use that analogy, but the bottom line is uh, I would want him in the foxhole with me, Gary Dornhofer, just, uh, you know, is just great guy and his analytics. I worked with Bill Clement. You can't come up with a better wordsmith than Bill Clement and Keith Jones. And, and uh, Brian Boucher was an up and comer and to me. He's, you know, just, he's, he's so good at what he does. So, uh, and, and so many others, I'm leaving people out now, which is not the right thing to do. Uh, but, but I've just had great people to work with. Jonesy is just, he's dumb like a Fox. I like to say he likes to play himself off as this, uh, you know, almost like country guy who doesn't know much. He knows a lot, um, you know, and he talks about how he doesn't, you know, I just show up and do the game. Yeah. Right. He's, he's always got information and, and he's also very good at, at seeing something even in the pregame skate, which I used to think was like, I'm just doing it to get the numbers and all that, but he can see how a guy's moving around there in the pregame skate. And he'll tell me he's going to have a good night tonight. And he's almost always right. So he's, he's a really fun person to work with because of his wit but he's also very good at what he does uh, and don't let him tell you anything different uh, he, he will try to tell you differently that you know he just shows up and does the games but uh, there's a science even to what Keith Jones does so to answer your question not exhausting at all it's a blast <laughs> you mentioned Brian Boucher is that I, I really dig Bouche on the uh, on the broadcast I thought he did a good job when he was doing the between the glass stuff and I liked him uh, on color is it an adjustment going from, you know, you've worked with Keith for a while and then suddenly you have a different color partner. Is there some sort of adjustment, different sort of preparation? Uh, I wouldn't say different preparation, but there's definitely an adjustment. And the example I'll give is when I was doing games with Bill Clement and Keith Jones, because they are opposites and yet both so good at what they do. But Bill Clement is a very uh, meticulous, prepared individual. He would come in and he'd have all his stuff lined up uh, uh, when they do the on ice live segment, for instance, he'd have notes on the players he was going to talk about. Jonesy finds out who he's talking about right as he's standing there in front of the camera and then he just goes. <laughs> so they are very different, um, but so much fun to work with Bill, the wordsmith that he is. I mean, he'd come out with you know, the, there's so many, you know, hyenas on hamburger, telescopic leg, and this, I can go on and on. And he, he's just, he was just so descriptive. I think he belongs in the, the broadcasters wing of the hall of fame. The Foster Hewitt award should be his soon. I'm pushing for it. I keep trying to talk to the people I can talk to because he was the top analyst in the sport, along with John Davidson for so many years. And, uh, and he gave, uh, counting, counting his flyer years, all, well, probably longer than his playing career. And he was involved in hockey for so long. So I think he should be there, but he's very different. He was, he'd, he'd hesitate a little before he talked Jonesy's right in there. So there's a different pacing. So there's slight adjustments to working with the two guys, but uh, not in terms of prep. I still do my, my same preparation, but um, I might use a different segment of it when I'm working with Bill, as opposed to working with Jonesy. Um, but, uh, so yeah, there's an adjustment, but again, when you have guys as good as that, I mean, it's, it's not like it's a, well, oh, I gotta, I gotta do the bill <laughs> preparation today. This is a more major challenge. No, it's nothing like that. And, you know, Scotty Hartnell's doing games. So you're always going to have different people now and look at, look at Scott Fransky this year. It looks like he's going to have about seven different guys working. with yeah, him he's going to be. So you, you have to adjust to some degree to pacing style, things like that. You might have to try to bring 
some guys in a little more than others. Some guys don't like to be brought in with questions. Bill Clement, for instance, never, he told me, you don't need to ask me questions. He's got something in his head where he's going. He doesn't want me to divert him. Whereas uh, Jonesy, it's like, uh, yeah, give me, that gives me somewhere to go, you know? So it's, it's different with different guys, but, but um, easy adjustment. And um, uh, I've loved working with everybody I've, I've had as partners. That's great. I could talk about the broadcast stuff all day. I'm a nerd for it, but it's supposed ask to be one... about Claude Giroux, yeah. is it not? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> just want to ask one more thing, just about the uh, the broadcasting. It's um, any one thing you would like to see added to a hockey broadcast, like as a fan, and you've called baseball the score bug in baseball. You have the score, the count, pitch count, outs, men on base. I'm just asking for a shot counter on a like on a regular hockey score bug. Any one thing you would want to add? Shot counter is a good good one. I know some networks do have them. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, it gives you an idea. I mean, shots can be inaccurate in terms of telling you who's got the edge in play. But I would say more times than not, it does give you an idea of which teams, you know, got the better of things. Um, so that's not a bad choice. I'm trying to think. The one thing I don't want to see after watching our game on uh, Saturday is usage of the suspended camera for play-by-play. Because I was here trying to watch that game. That was a national game. And you can't see the puck or really even tell who the players are with that, the angle they showed. Plus, I was starting to get a little, I don't know if it was vertigo or what was, it started to get a little weird watching that. Now, now some people might like it. I got a lot of complaints on my Twitter feed for that camera angle. So sometimes, Bill, it's really just about if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I, I like the simple coverage where the game camera is the main setup and you use the other cameras for replay. Okay. Occasionally you can drop down and, and show the ice level to show a hit, maybe in a corner or a scramble for a puck or the behind the net angle on a power play, perhaps or something. I, you know, once in a while, that's fine. But if, if they just shot the game and I know up in Canada, they kind of stick to this. They just shoot the game from the game camera and then use everything else for the replay. It's not a bad setup. Um, but I, I can't really think of anything I would change uh, drastically. Um, I mean, no glow puck, I, you know. <laughs> no, no, we don't need the glow puck. We tried that. I don't think it worked. I mean, they're adding so many different things. The tracking now, we can tell how fast the pucks go. Uh, it's really helpful now when we we are able to track how long players have been on the ice. I mean, we had Cam York out there for over two minutes on his shift, or Justin Braun too, I think, uh, in in the game. And that that obviously is part of the story. You're seeing now. You know why this guy can barely check somebody. He's been out there for two minutes, right? Um, so you know that that is recently as five years ago, we didn't have that kind of technology. So um, the, the tracking and the time and all that is great. And we're going to continue to get advances in those areas. So I guess just a continuation of that is what I would ask for, um, but nothing major. I, I kind of like the hockey broadcast. This sounds good. Sometimes the, 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 the effects are so loud. You can't hear the announcers. You, know, you got to watch those things, but bottom line is I think uh, hockey's done a real good job in, in terms of, if you think where we were about 20 years ago in terms of the, the uh, high def and everything that's been brought in to allow you to sit at home and be able to watch a game much, much more clearly uh, than you could have and with much better information than you could have two decades ago. So we've come a long way. I'm sure there's still ways we can go further, but you don't want to go too far and tinker too much and start doing, you know, some of these angles and all that. I you do want to keep it simple as well. JJ, this has been a ton of fun. Uh, I really enjoyed it, and I'm very much looking forward to your call of Giroux's 1,000th game on Thursday. I think it's a, yeah. it's an important milestone for all of us. We wish it was under different circumstances, but 
You know, I'm the same age as Claude Giroux. So it's like I watched this guy grow up as I did. And it's yeah. going to be really uh, it's going to be really that's, fun to see. I'm glad that you get to do it. And uh, yeah. it's going to be fun. That is something that you think about. There's so many people out there who were 17, 18, 19 when he broke in. And now they're in the mid 30s. And so they kind of have grown up with, with the Claude Giroux. And that that's a, another way of looking at it. I can't wait for Thursday. They're going to have a ceremony. So if you're going as fans, get there early. Um, I believe it's right at seven o'clock. The ceremony, the game's been pushed back a little to like seven sixteen or something. Um, and you know, it's it's. I guess it says something. They're doing it before his one thousandth game. Usually they do it after, but uh, they have a road game the next night, and then they do have one more home game before the trade deadline. But I, I mean, I think it's partially because there may be a move in the works or something. They, they're going to do it beforehand, and you know, Claude uh, then gets to hopefully step on the ice and get into that one thousandth game. But it'll be great. It's honoring. One of the all-time greats for the Flyers. Uh, you know, he, he's second to Bob Clark in so many categories, and actually he's beaten him in a couple. He's more power play points than Bob now, and he he's uh, served longer as captain than Bob Clark. So he is uh, on the Mount Rushmore of Flyers players. Um, only two guys have reached this mark in a franchise that's been around for over half a century and has done a lot of winning and had a lot of great players. So it really is a momentous thing. And when you look around and see the players throughout the league who've played with 1,000 or played 1,000 games with one team, um, it's they're really who's who of the hockey greats. So uh, a tremendous accomplishment for Claude. I wouldn't be shocked if he does something in the game as well to, uh, to commemorate the, the moment, uh, something special, because he certainly does uh, have a way of doing that. So, uh, but congratulations to him. Been a great player and been so much fun to call these years. JJ, it's been great. It's been great talking to you. Really appreciate it. Uh, thank you. Uh, this is great. Looking forward to that game on Thursday. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll be watching for the final 23 games of the season. Jeru's 1,000th and after that. So thank you very much. My pleasure, Bill. Nice meeting you. Right, take care.